Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Thank you for joining us today. The start of Suicide Prevention Week for this very important discussion on I'm Listening. I'm Gary Bloxham. It's so critical to start and continue this discussion. In this next half hour, we're going to be taking a look at the effect of suicide locally here in Oregon and Southwest Washington. I'd like to welcome Larissa Klein from Rainier Springs, a new behavioral health hospital in Vancouver. Larissa is the director of business development there and also a trained counselor. Hi, Larissa. Hi, Gary. Tell me about you and your background. Absolutely. First of all, thank you so much for having me today. This is a really important topic, so I'm really pleased to be here with you. I'm a trained counselor. I started uh, down a path when I was in college, really caring about people and wanting to go into psychology and decided that this was going to be my field. And I love it. Um, And then once I started getting into um, some of the direct care with patients, I kind of felt like I was a little too young. I was 24 at the time and decided that I needed to kind of branch out a little bit. So I started going into the business side of things. But What that really taught me was that business and um, clinical go hand in hand most of the time. And so as a clinician, trained uh, clinician, I'm able to really connect with community and tell them a little bit about what access to care looks like and also be able to navigate some resources in the community for folks who are in distress. I really enjoy and uh, I'm super passionate about mental health care being mentally well is something I think we need to talk a lot more about in life today. And the reason I, I really do what I do is because I think it makes the world a better place. I think that talking about your feelings isn't a bad thing, and everybody should have that option and that opportunity in any kind of setting, and that we shouldn't be afraid of that. And if we, if we start doing a little more of that, I think the world would, would get better, and we would start a, you know seeing a a decrease in some of the distress uh, from mental illness. Where do you think that the uh, the idea that talking about mental health wasn't as important or, or something you don't talk about as opposed to your physical health? A long time ago, it wasn't okay for things to be wrong in families or in society. We locked people away when they were different. And that is a systemic issue of all of our culture and society Years ago, we were able to get rid of that mentality by deinstitutionalizing community members who had a mental illness and allowing them to be a part of our community and taking things like, or taking organizations or hospitals like uh, Damish uh, in Oregon, closing that and then opening up to more community based services for folks uh, who do live with a mental illness and thrive most of the time. Uh, with a mental illness in the community, by closing that down, we were able to kind of take a new leap. And you'll hear from the National Alliance on Mental Illness 
both in Oregon and across the nation, that that's what they're here to do is to help, you know, develop uh, plans and relationships within communities to deinstitutionalize and bring more awareness and stomp out the stigma that mental illness has given many people. That's a big stigma. That's going to take a lot, a lot of stomping, mm-hmm. but hopefully, you know, it's on its way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, definitely. We're doing doing good and we're on the right path. Yeah, right? definitely. Tell me a little bit about Rainier Springs, relatively new here to our community. Yeah, Rainier Springs is a new behavioral health hospital. We are a 72-bed facility. We're uh, located on a beautiful campus in the Salmon Creek area of Vancouver. We currently serve uh, 48 mental health patients and 24 detox patients. That's how our beds are broken up. And we just recently opened back in late 2018. And our, whole, our, our goal uh, is to change people's lives. The mission of Rainier Springs is to change people's lives. You, uh, before we started this interview, you told me that there's, there's quite a, a hole here in our community. There's not a lot of mental health facilities or, or help out there, right? That's true. In Oregon and Washington in general, we rank really, really low on the access to care. Uh, I believe Washington State ranks 48th out of the nation on access to care with eight beds per 100,000 people for behavioral health issues. So that means that the access uh, for somebody to get treatment at an inpatient level, um, it's very hard to get, it's very hard to get help. On average... Let me back up. Okay. On average, the state of Washington has eight beds per 100,000 people. Across the nation, the national average is 30 beds. Oh. So we rank 48th in the country for access to care for mental illness. That's something that's got to change. Yeah. And that's why Rainier Springs is here. Well, thank you. Thanks for coming in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, September is Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. What does that mean? What's, what's happening this month? Absolutely. So September is Suicide Prevention Awareness Month, and this is a topic and a concern that the entire country needs to pay attention to. We are losing people who die by suicide too often. You hear it in the news on a regular basis now. Just recently, some really uh, beautiful people in our world have taken their lives. And, you know, some of the signs that uh, come along with thoughts around suicide really need to be paid attention to a little bit more. As people, we don't want to pry into other people's lives if, they, if we think something is going wrong. But it's really important to notice when your friends and your family start isolating themselves or they say things like, I'm feeling pretty hopeless, I really don't know what I'm going to do. If they're experiencing social or economic issues, uh, experiencing problems with finances and they maybe... They could be, you know, two paychecks away from losing their homes. I think a lot of people are in that place right now. Mm-hmm. It is hard to live on the West Coast. It's hard to live, uh, you know, financially. There's a lot of pressure to live above your means. And a lot of people get into situations and they just become hopeless. They don't see a way out and they end it. Those are the things that we need to be paying attention to more is intervening and taking a risk, you know, It would be better, in my opinion, it would be better for somebody to take a risk of a friendship or a family member's uh, trust with you to say, are you okay? Are you thinking about hurting yourself? And them to say, oh my gosh, no, no, not at all. And be able to say, well, I just want to be sure that you're okay because the words that you're saying really scare me. 
rather than them walking away and not having an opportunity to say those words and actually help save a life. I think I, I've heard, and I, I can certainly understand where this thought comes from, that if, if you bring up the idea of suicide to somebody, that's going to spark the idea in their mind. Mm-hmm. That couldn't be further from the truth, right? No, absolutely not. Talking about it and having it as an open dialogue is something that we should be doing regularly a lot more often than we do. I know, you know, personally for me, I've heard uh, some some things that my friends have said, and I'm like, you shouldn't say something like that unless you're really, you know, you're really thinking that about thinking about that. Are you okay? Mm-hmm. And and going into that conversation with them, are you okay? You know, asking that question, and even going into, are you feeling hopeless? I've noticed that you've been spending more time by yourself. Those are problems that we absolutely need to bring up with each other and just check in. Yeah. Can you talk about some warning signs uh, that we should be looking for? Absolutely. Well, I think one of the things that we need to know is that suicide is the 10th leading cause of death among all ages. And it's also um, the third leading cause of death death among, among youth, ages 10 to 14, and the second leading cause of death for Americans aged 15 to 34. It's really important that we know that um, adolescents are at higher risk because there's a lot more emotion happening in their, in their bodies as they develop. And there are warning signs that we can use for adolescents uh, as well, such as self-injury and also isolation and increased drug use or drug use in general, if that's something that they've never done before. I know personally I've experienced working with youth who, who do choose to self-injure for a coping mechanism, and it really does become problematic for people to think about that. They don't want to think about their, their teenager using that as a coping mechanism, mm-hmm. and it can also lead to suicide because oftentimes kids don't even really know what they're doing in that situation. But the adolescents who are self-injuring are crying out for help. That is the, that is the warning sign that okay. you have a very serious situation and you need to get your, your son or your daughter or uh, that, that individual some help right away because it's a huge warning sign that they're not able to cope in a normal fashion with their emotions. How about some warning signs in adults? Is self-injury, is that prevalent in adults as well, or is it mostly an adolescent sure. thing? Absolutely. Yeah, people can, can use that as a coping, use self-injury as a coping mechanism in adulthood as well if you're unable to create um, an opportunity for emotional balance and your distress tolerance is low and you didn't develop a healthy way of dealing with stress in your life and your stress level goes up, that's when we start developing unhealthy coping mechanisms. Unhealthy coping mechanisms can be alcohol use to extreme or excess. It can be self-injury. It could be using drugs, and that's not really a normal thing for you to do. Uh, You could be using drugs like uh, prescription pain medications to numb the, mm-hmm. the problems that you're you're experiencing. Some very risky behavior that's out of the ordinary? Exactly, exactly. Are there always warning signs? No, unfortunately there aren't. I think that's one of the things that, you know, you never know. Unfortunately, people never say anything and they never change. 
their behaviors or their patterns. I think the people who know us best are the people who can intervene the most in our lives, especially if it's somebody that doesn't have any signs or symptoms. If we do experience, um, say, a friend of yours or a relative or somebody is, is showing some of these warning signs, what should what should you or I do? I mean, I would pick up the phone. Uh, if if someone is exhibiting warning signs that you're seeing, this is really concerning, pick up the phone and call 800-273-TALK. Tell that counselor on the other end of the National Suicide Prevention Line that you're dealing with somebody who could potentially be wanting to hurt themselves and they can give you some tips and tools and they're there to, to talk 24 uh, seven. Is it better to call this, the national suicide prevention line before you talk to somebody that you have, that you're concerned about? Depends maybe upon you know, what I, level of concern. Yeah. I think that it's really, if you're concerned that they're literally going to go hurt themselves, I would intervene immediately. But if you don't know what to say, you're questioning, what do I say to this person? Uh, and you kind of feel like this is not an immediate you know, issue, then absolutely you know, call and get some tips. But if you feel like this is really going to be a problem uh, and you're, you're going to help save somebody's life, I would definitely intervene right away. You can tell them, I can go with you. I, I will take you to the hospital and I will go with you. There are a couple of options in our community where you can get help. The first is uh, any emergency room is available 24-7, 365. Okay. Uh, there are also behavioral health facilities in our area. Rainier Springs is one of them, as well as Unity Behavioral Health Center in Portland. And there's also Cedar Hills Hospital. Those are three locations I know that are open 24-7 where you can go and get help right away for a suicidal hot thought or ideation. Wow, that's comforting to know that 24-7, mm-hmm. that's good. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm having a hard time even asking the question, but how do you talk to somebody about suicide or your concerns about them perhaps wanting to hurt themselves? How do you start that conversation and what do you say? Sure. I think it really becomes uh, how comfortable are you with the person first? If this is a very close friend of yours, you be your authentic self and you tell them, you know that I love you and you know that I care for you and I'm really concerned about fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. I'm really concerned about your drug use. I'm really concerned about your alcohol use. You've told me that you want to hurt yourself and that really makes me scared because I don't want to lose you. Can I help you? How can I help you? Being authentic and just really showing emotion and being vulnerable gives that other person the opportunity and the okay to be vulnerable back with you. That's probably the best thing. They, they can let their guard down, even if it's just mm-hmm. a little bit. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And talking about it is probably the best thing you can do or one of the best things you can do, right? Sure. To get it out there. There are definitely other ways that you can intervene. You can write a letter. And a lot of people feel like writing letters is, um, you know, a good way to express your concern because it's a well thought out statement. Maybe reading, writing a letter and reading it. Mm -hmm. You know, I've been, I've been witnessing you. You know the self-destructive behavior. I'm really concerned that you're going to hurt yourself for good, and you're not going to be here much longer. Those types of things that are written out are sometimes said a little bit easier for people. Um, there are other ways to cope. You can uh, develop um, for for some people who are dealing with suicidal thoughts. Oftentimes, writing things out is helpful, 
and just asking them, if you want to write out your feelings or you want to write something to me so that it's easier for you to communicate it, that's definitely an option and should, you know, play to our strengths, right? If you have mm-hmm. a hard time mm-hmm. talking about it. I mean, I can think about um, one of the main, uh, you know, topics uh, of conversation in in media today is veterans and suicide, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're a veteran, 22 veterans die from suicide each day, according to the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. And I can tell you that a lot of people, not only veterans, but also first responders, they would do much better writing things out, I bet, because they're not really trained to talk about their feelings. In fact, they're supposed to keep their feelings in check all the time. And then when they're allowed to show emotion, it's new sometimes and it can be really, really difficult. And so finding different ways and and suggesting different ways to talk about it is really important. If someone has never really had or never at all had a a thought about suicide, are they at risk still? I think it can happen to anybody. No one is immune to uh, depression, anxiety, thoughts of suicide, problems with bipolar disorder. There are more people out there that have a mental illness than we really know. And I think that a lot of people um, are in distress and we don't even really know it sometimes. This is uh, some of the paperwork that you gave me. I thought this was really interesting. These three statistics together. In the United States, one person dies every 13 minutes from suicide. Mm -hmm. And then on average, there are 117 suicides per day. Mm -hmm. But then 90% of those who uh, die from suicide have an underlying mental illness. That's right. That's kind of remarkable when you think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a lot of mental illness that needs some attention. Exactly. I don't think we're talking enough and helping people know what the warning signs are to really get help. And I also think that we have, you know, um, marginalized those folks. And 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 I mean, I'm one of them. I've accessed care. I've accessed counseling. Uh, for myself in multiple situations. And I think that, you know, while it may not be a diagnosable mental illness, there's also, you know, life stressors and distress tolerance is something that is built up over time uh, and dealing with issues like life-changing issues like marriage or going to college or having a baby or sending your son or daughter off to college or losing a parent. All of these things are life-changing experiences that may not be a mental illness, but might be something where you need some help just to process. And that's why counseling is probably the first step. You know, developing an opportunity to talk to somebody about just going to counseling could actually be a huge opportunity. Taking that first step to talk to somebody is probably a very difficult one. How do you find somebody that you can trust? It's generally the person that they're closest with. So let's just take, for example, if you know of somebody that's dealing with some anxiety or depression and you're concerned about suicide and potentially uh, that person hurting themselves, it would be best to find the person that they have the best relationship with. So if it's a, you know, a best friend or a coworker or a family member, a brother, a sister, a mother, Find the person that has the best relationship and let them know we're concerned about this and and discuss that with them and just tell them. And again, be your, your authentic self. 
being authentic with other humans is the best way to allow vulnerability to occur. Yeah, I, I think that's probably the case in so mm-hmm. many things, mm-hmm. you know, be, being, being your true self. That's important. Exactly. Um, are there do's and don'ts when it comes to talking to somebody about suicide? Well, sure. I think that you don't want to barrage anyone with the idea. You, you know, start out, you know, I, I would like to talk with you about something that I'm a little bit concerned and being authentic and telling him that you're nervous to talk to him about it is one way to overcome your nervousness is just to blurt it out and say, right. I'm nervous about this, right? right. Um, there are definitely ways to not talk about it. You don't want to uh, give them a label and tell them, I think that you have bipolar disorder and you're going to kill yourself. Those types of things, um, d- not super helpful. Uh, putting a label on somebody with uh, so much, uh, so much. That's just a, that's a big cons- label. Yeah, it's a big label. <laughs> if you're if you're thinking that you you know you want to uh, intervene in some way and you don't know how, asking a professional or calling the suicide prevention hotline at eight hundred two seven three talk and asking them how you do that. Uh, that's a better way to go about it. Of course, you want to be sure that you're the right person to talk to them about it too. What kind of role does addiction play in suicide? I think addiction plays a huge role in suicide. I also think it plays a role in accidental overdose and death as well. And oftentimes people who are using drugs and alcohol end up using those items to commit suicide. It's uh, oftentimes it can become a hopeless situation when you're living every minute needing a fix and depending on something else to get you through every moment of every day. It's definitely uh, a a major issue uh, within our society today. Addiction overall is affecting more people than we really know. I think that it's it's more of an issue for a lot of people who, um, you know, when you go to the doctor and they ask you if you're having drinks once a day or how many drinks once a day, I can guarantee you most people are underreporting. Mm-hmm. You know, sure. let's go have a drink is a statement that we use on a regular basis. That drink o- oftentimes equals three. Or so more. multiply mm-hmm. whatever a drink is times three and you're going to go out and have six drinks. But we don't say that. Right. We don't say let's go have six drinks. We say let's go have a drink. So we minimize addiction. We minimize the effects that it has on us because, honestly, we deal with a lot of stress in this day and age, and ultimately it becomes a numbing, mm-hmm. uh, an opportunity to numb. And how about opioids? Are they? They're obviously a big problem. But yeah. So opioids and the use of opioids laced with fentanyl is probably the biggest issue now. Um, in Clark County, uh, Washington, they have a new opioid task force, and that task force has been mobilized to help really address the issue of the opioid addiction problem in Southwest Washington. And I know Oregon has the same uh, type of uh, focus as well. Opioids are the easy, let me back up. Opioids have become a problem because it was acceptable to use pain medicine. 
And now it's become even more difficult because once you get that, you know, if you go to the doctor and you have a back issue and the doctor prescribes uh, an opioid medication, a good example of that would be like oxycodone. Mm -hmm. If you got a prescription for oxycodone and you used it and you are uh, somebody who struggles with addiction, then you're going to be more likely to use that to start numbing in the future when it's helpful. That addiction to opioids as a prescription pain medica- medication then graduates once you can't get that pain medicine anymore, your doctor cuts you off or something happens, it graduates to a heroin addiction. That heroin addiction then graduates to more use and more use and then many of the uh, opioids today are laced with fentanyl and that's what's killing people is fentanyl is an incredibly um, potent drug that we use for surgeries and anesthesia and that's becoming a huge problem and is a huge problem in our in our community uh, across the country really and that's why we have so many of the government entities trying to address it and using um, programs like narcan kits and various things similar to what we did this weekend Um, september Uh, is also Recovery Awareness Month. And so Hands Across the Bridge happened this last weekend over Labor Day. And that is an event where we are basically addressing the addiction problem in the community and celebrating recovery, but also really bringing to light the fact that we need to be using harm reduction models to decrease the the issues related to uh, use of opioids and fentanyl. The fentanyl-laced heroin that people are using, they don't know. So the fentanyl testing strips are really important to be giving out to people. Narcan is a very important life-saving medication that can be given to somebody immediately, and it can revive them immediately from an overdose. We need to be putting more of that out there because a lot of times suicide might be in their minds, but they may not be at that place, but they're still using. And that can end it all for them if that's... That's getting the very, problem. Getting very dangerously close. Very close, yeah. We're talking with Larissa, uh, Larissa Klein from the uh, New Behavioral Health Hospital in Vancouver called Rainier Springs. Let's spend a couple minutes talking about um, what people can expect if they call you or if they come to Rainier Springs. What, what can they expect? Yeah. Well, Rainier Springs is available 24-7, 365 days a year. When they pick up the phone and call us, they'll receive, you know, the phone will be answered by a licensed clinician. The clinician will, you know, discuss why they're calling and then bring them in for an assessment. It's free of charge and it's completely confidential. And so patients and their family members can walk in any time, day or night and get a free assessment. They can also uh, talk with the clinician and discuss what's going on in a confidential space. At that time, we'll give them a recommendation after we've done that full assessment with, with them and their family members. And, you know, recommend maybe an inpatient program, an outpatient program, whatever best fits their needs. And we can get them connected right away, right then and there. Uh, Rainier Springs has a a, a day hospital program and an intensive outpatient program as well. So we have a great continuum of care that offers inpatient partial partial hospitalization programming as well as intensive outpatient services. And they are able to start right away. That first step is so difficult, but that first step is the most important thing you can do, right? It is. Making the first call is always hard. Um, 
I really feel like our organization puts that above all is when somebody calls, they don't call a psychiatric hospital or a behavioral health facility because they're having a good day. Right. They're calling because they're in need and they're in distress. The best thing for us to do is get them to help right away. And that's what we do. We offer that, you know, we offer that um, assessment right away. They can walk in if they want to right after they get off the phone with us. Do you want to give out the phone number where, where people can call and get a hold Absolutely, of you Absolutely, yeah. It's 360-356-1890. And the website, too. That probably would be helpful. RainierSprings.com. And what other resources are available nationwide? We, we want to kind of prevent this from happening, right? This is Absolutely. Suicide Awareness Month. Absolutely. But of course, we want to prevent suicide year-round, but of this course. is a good month to get the information out there, so some resources. Yeah, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 800-273-TALK. That lifeline provides 24-7 free confidential support for people in distress. We need to be able to use that anywhere and everywhere. And I also know that there are lots of other op- opportunities for treatment throughout the country, um, just like Rainier Springs, just like Unity in Portland, and accessing and knowing the resources in your community to help people. You know, just having a general understanding of the medical resources is a good idea. Yeah. If you ever needed help because you broke your arm or you cut your arm or did something in the backyard, you would know, oh, I would go to that hospital to the emergency room. In the same way, we need to know what the behavioral health and addiction resources are in our communities, the same way we would have a diabetes or a heart attack issue and go to the emergency room. We need to know what that what that option is. So research that. Know where your local behavioral health hospital is. And I guarantee you, once we start talking more about it, we start being more aware about it, things will start changing. We'll start seeing these numbers we just discussed go down in our country. And that's really the goal, right? Like, yeah. you know, 1.5 million Americans attempted suicide last year. We need to get that down to a million, to 500,000, to eventually zero. zero. Yeah. yeah. Well, this has been a great conversation to get people talking about it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Thank I'm you so glad much. That, I'm glad that I could, could be here to talk about it. Well, thank you so much for coming in today. Thanks, Gary. We've been talking with Larissa Klein from Rainier Springs, a new behavioral health hospital in Vancouver. Thanks again, Larissa. If you or someone you care about needs help, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800 273 talk. Thank you for joining us today for I'm Listening.